Hello, this is Where Did It All Go Right? Welcome to another episode. I'm Ali Jones. This is the podcast where I talk to people in creative jobs about the pivotal moments in their careers. I guess it all started when I realised I knew a few people who got some brilliant jobs and I thought, how on earth do they do it? And it's kind of grown from that. I've travelled all over to record interviews, but I have recently discovered that quite a few creative people live just down the road from me. Uh, There's one road in Oxford that has a ridiculous amount of creative people in it, and in that road lives John Metcalf. Uh, So John is a viola player, composer, arranger and producer. He's worked with everyone from Chrissy Hind to Coldplay. You will definitely have heard his music. Uh, We had a chat in his studio. The door was open because it was a lovely sunny morning. Uh, So you might hear a bit of a a lawnmower mower in the background. Uh, You might hear some sound coming from his son's uh, drum kit, but not much. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Well, John, it's so lovely to meet you because I've heard a lot about you and just amazed at the extraordinary things that you've done. And we're here, we're in your engine room, aren't we, at the bottom of your garden? Yes. This is where everything happens. It's where most of the stuff happens. It's where I um, get a little bit lonely working away for many hours, many days and weeks. But um, it is kind of where most of the stuff that I write happens. But then it's the springboard for going and being in a studio with other people, which is the thing I love. Is that I your favourite? Yeah. Oh, because yeah, yes. I was going to ask you because your Twitter feed says composer, arranger, producer, and viola player. Right. So, are you sometimes more than one? If you got one at the moment that you think you're you're more than? I think I think at the moment I am in the composer arranger area of stuff. I started out as a performer, but gradually as the years have gone by, I've, I've morphed into something else, which actually, which, which was something that I never thought that I would actually end up doing. Yeah, really? I always thought I was going to be performing and hopefully on a stage, but, but working with other people, that was the thing. Isn't yeah. it interesting that you're, as you say, doing something completely different from where you began? Because you began just playing, playing the viola. Yes. And was it always that instrument for you? Yes, it was, because... Um, very quickly, the story is that, that my mum, we, we moved over from New Zealand when I, when I was eight, and my mum became a local a teacher at the local school, music teacher at the local school, and there happened to be a, a fiddle player there, the teacher, and he said, would your son like to learn the violin or, or the viola? And I didn't actually, and it wasn't like I heard Yehudi Menuhin play the Elgar Concerto <laughs> when I was three and a half, and that from then it. on, it was, that, was, that was my, my moment. Um, I didn't re- the only violinists I knew were appalling, absolutely appalling. <laughs> so maybe that so, put you uh, off. And that put me off and I thought, I didn't really know what the viola was, but I thought it's, I, I did know that it was lower and it couldn't sound worse. It was likely to sound better. So I, I went straight to the viola, which is a, a little, I, th- I think it's more usual now, but then it wasn't, you always started on the violin. I love the fact you chose an instrument because it's not quite as bad as the other one, so yes. it'll do. Yes, it was, <laughs> it was a bit absolutely, like that. yes, if I have to do it. <laughs> and, and when you started, did you then think, okay, I quite like this, I'm pretty good at this, this is something I'm going to do, or was that a gradual thing? I knew that I liked music, but the idea of being, I, this, I think, this very quickly, there's going to be this theme about me being on my own and not liking it. I think the... Yeah, I, I realised that there was going to be quite a lot of hours that I was going to have to put in. It was going to be quite hard work. And I really, I'm actually inherently quite lazy. <laughs> and I didn't practice at all for many, many, many years. And that's not to say that, oh, I was so precocious and so naturally gifted that I just sailed through all my exams. You know, I did do some work, but it was always very late in the day. I, you know, only just hit deadlines. You know, so the night before an exam. Yeah, it would, it, would, it would be loaded at that end of proceedings very definitely so even when you got into music college were you practicing before that audition yes but there's a little subplot to that in that I wasn't doing any work at all I was in a kind of punk band sort of early new wave band in the early 80s at school which I loved doing I was playing the drums I loved that but I then got expelled and I went to a different school for the last sort of two and a half terms and I didn't know anybody I mean I did make some friends but you know but I thought hmm uh, now what happens I'm going to have to do something. So I actually, while I was busy making friends and having less of a social life, I actually did some practice. So I think that was kind of fortuitous. It wasn't was, so cool being thrown out of school. but Was it a bit of a wake-up call, though? Uh, yes, I suppose so. I didn't see it in those terms. I was far too angry at that stage of my life to kind of see, oh, I really have to you know, get, my, uh, get myself together. But I did think, if I am going to continue doing something in music then maybe I should do some practice and try and get into a music college. But it, what's interesting as well is that, so you were playing in a bit of a punk band. Yes. And so that, you know, did you not think, well, actually, if I go to music college, there is a chance that I'm going to be just playing 
Bach and Beethoven because yeah. there is that there is that image still even though that's not true yes um, but it didn't put you off because you, you, you could have gone down the road and thought I'm just going to join a band yeah, I'm no, not you're, going to college you, you've hit that nail on the head Ali very early on sorry, no, sorry. no you're very intuitive no it's brilliant because actually you know I always wanted to be in a band you know and I, and I used to I mean I used to be a massive Kraftwerk fan and I went to see them and I used to have this sort of insane fantasy that because I knew all their tunes there was this this uh, tour they did in the early 80s a computer world tour and at the end of towards the end of the gig they would their their encore was that they would be suddenly not be standing in, behind their machines they'd be in front of the machines in front of the audience with their little sort of handheld calculators and stuff and little pressure pads that people they'd be hitting with knitting needles and stuff and they'd hand them down to the audience and the audience would the crowd would always just sort of mash you know it would just be kind of nonsense that it would come out but it was because it was electronic it was okay and I sort of had this this fantasy that I would be down at the front and I would play pocket calculator theme perfectly. They'd say, ah, yeah, you know the tunes where one, one of our band members is leaving. You come and join us and come to our studio in Dusseldorf. And you know, and, I and, that and, was, and then you'd live in your million pound mansion. Well, yeah, no, I'd just be in craft work. That wasn't, I wasn't thinking about money at that point. I'd just be in craft work. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I grew up sort of listening to bands. I mean, my father was a, an operatic tenor. So there was classical music in the house, mm. and I knew that I really loved listening to music. But I was, you know, I think where I was in my teenage years, angry, a little bit political, listening to punk, early wave, that kind of thing. That was where my heart lay. And I don't know whether I'd stayed in Hastings and tried to sort of form bands and do that kind of thing. I think I knew that there was something that the viola was an instrument which I could express myself on in a way that perhaps I didn't have the talent as a as a nurse while drummer and I thought music college can also lead to, I can also do bands while I'm there sure and, um, and going to Manchester as well because that yeah. that was massive because yeah going up to that scene which you know let's be honest is very different to other parts of the country particularly at that time yes that must have been massive for you meeting so many people yeah I mean it, no it really was because I was a huge factory fan I um I was listening to a lot of Joy Division and New Order and Girati Column and stuff like that and the Hacienda had just opened and a friend bought me um Hacienda membership card for its 18th birthday <laughs> so we got up there and I found like-minded people quite early on and we were going to sort of early early Simple Minds gigs and stuff like that and, and going to the, the Hacienda to, to dance and to, um, listen, you know, and see bands and things. Um, I bet it was, you were loving it. I bet you just I thought... did, yeah. I did. And also I think, you know, on a, on a slightly sort of more emotional side, I, I, I think I kind of found a home because we'd moved around quite a lot and also because I'd been away at school, mm. which I really hated. Um, I'd suddenly becoming involved in a scene, which I did, you know, because I joined a, a band on on the on factory label, and so that became a little bit of a family for me. Uh, so it was kind of lots of boxes were were being ticked, definitely. Did you have time for practice though? No, <laughs> not at all. And combined with leaving things and being la inherently lazy. Uh, but you I, passed. You got through. I, well, I passed. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't do anything for the first two years, and then again, I had that. You know, it wasn't um, last minute. It was a last minute thing of thinking. Well, I've got two more years to go, and maybe I should now really sort of get my arse in gear and uh, just do some work. And yeah, and and then of course, then other things started opening up, and then Beethoven quartet suddenly like came into my life, and that sort of thing. And I started thinking, mm, this is something that has legs. Yeah. This is really incredible music. It's absolutely amazing music. Uh, so I was in the very happy position of being able to do all all kinds of music that I was uh, drawn to. And I love that because it seems to be quite a, a recent thing that people are saying, oh, actually, classical music doesn't have to be in different genres. You can, you can, you can mix genres together. Yeah, but, absolutely. But you've been doing that for years. I know. <laughs> I know. I've been sort of shouting my corner for a long, long, long time. And, and, and all the stuff that I've kind of been involved in in one way or another. I mean, I, you know, I did a, um, a kind of a straight traditional string quartet for many, many years, which I still do from time to time. But uh, being able to, yeah, mix the genres up and do that kind of thing, and particularly, I mean, and in a way, the factory band, um, uh, Girotti Column, I was playing the viola in that, a little bit of drums, but mm. essentially viola and doing sort of little modal scales and things like that. Um, so you were mixing it up all yeah, there. Yeah, yes. And, and how did Girotti Column come about? Because I know they've had quite a varying lineup. Yes. But, but you were there for, for some time. Yeah. And was it a mad time? Were you doing lots of gigs? And it wasn't mad enough. I, I have to say that in all my all my experience and uh, collaborations and involvement with pop musicians, it's never been as mad as people like to think. Oh. You know, 
it, you know, it's been fun. But I, I was thinking bl- Hacienda, Manchester. This okay, is going right. to be. It's uh, got to be slightly decadent. Surely. It was a, well. It was a little. Yeah, it was a little bit. There were edges that were a little bit blurred. <laughs> let's say, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but, it was, but the band, how did that happen? Um, okay, so um, I moved into a flat with three... No, a landscape architect who was at the Polytechnic and two brass players who formed a horn team who were in very, very early uh, Simply Red before they got big, when they're on the college circuit. And so they were doing that and then they went and played to Tony Wilson, the factory boss, at the Hacienda... Um, they just wrote a letter to him and said, dear, dear Tony, we're a horn team. Do you need a horn team for anything? And Tony, being Tony, wrote back and said, in the days of before there was email or any of that, he said, yeah, OK, can you come down and play at the Hacienda? They went down. Vinny, the guitarist, the main, Vinny and Bruce were there, the mainstay of Girotti. And um, Vinny was doing a very kind of prototype neoclassical mix-up electronic album and um, they got hired they got the job and I was so jealous I was so jealous <laughs> they're living with you because like you, you know they came back and said well we got the job and I said you don't even you don't even know who Girati is you've got no idea you don't know about the, the label blah, blah, blah. and they said well yeah well you know but we're doing some gigs in London we're going to be in the studio next week and I was just pulling my hair out oh, particularly as they would be coming back late probably at night going oh yeah great gig <laughs> well they, yeah they, they, they would and, and I, I remember going to a couple of those gigs because I was a Girati fan as well anyway so I was on them and said <laughs> if the because they uh, Vinny was using a violinist American violinist called Blaine Reininger at the time and I just said, look, if he can't do any gigs, just get me in there. Get me in there. And that's what happened. And so I went down to Vinny's house and did a rehearsal when Blaine had to pull out because he had his own band. And Vinny said, well, you know all the tunes. Great. So, and that was it. And suddenly I was a kid in a sweet shop because suddenly we were doing, uh, they, weren't, they weren't sort of like back-to-back touring. Vinny never really sort of wanted to do that. But we did sort of two, three weeks in Japan or America and stuff at the time we were in and out of studios. We went to Spain for the first time. You know, we, we did stuff in Europe, and I couldn't believe my luck. It was it was fantastic. It was it was what I wanted to do. And also the other thing about it, on a, a more kind of practical note, was that um, it got me on stage um, because I used to suffer quite a bit from stage fright for various reasons. Right. And this helped me actually take me out of that college thing of like, oh, you're a little bit out of tune in bar four, that kind of thing. And it's all quite uh, formal. Whereas yeah. this is a lot more relaxed, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was more relaxed. And also because it was Vinny's music and the people who were there at the gig were there to hear his music. So he could play it however he, however he damn well pleased. And mm. so if he dropped a note here or there, people actually loved him for it. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of like, oh, did you go to the gig last night? Or, you know, he messed up there or he did that. And, and that kind of stuff can really help make a, a gig and some kind of connection that the, the performer is a human being as well. That that sort of thing. And um, you say you couldn't believe your luck. Do you think it was a bit of luck because there were friends of yours in the house that got you in there? Do you think you'd have had the confidence to to join a band like that if you hadn't had that that friendship that kind of slightly got you in in the first place? Um, I think that I've never been pushy in that way. I don't. It wouldn't have occurred to me to have written a letter. I mean, my band at, uh, that I had at school, we did do a demo. We did send it off to some labels, but I mean, they just got. You know, we know about labels and demos. They just, just get thousands of them every week. Yeah, in the corner just of the up. office, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think it was a little bit of luck, but I, I had there was enough of an in for me to think, you know, because I could be, there was no sort of lack of confidence with my friends saying, oh, you know, should I ask my friends? It was like, no swearing, but, you know, get me in there. Yeah. Beep, 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 get me in there. Uh, so that was it was kind of luck and and a little bit of pushing as well yes. and, and so was that around the same time that you were in your quartet as well were you juggling everything or were you doing it um, that was while I was still at college my the, the the main quartet that I was in the Duke quartet happened after I left college right yeah. and I was interested about working in a quartet because when you're working with Duritty Column there's quite a few of you and there's decisions to be made but also yes. in a quartet there's four of you how do you decide what you're going to do and who you're going to work with I mean, anybody who says that I, I know that there's there's a, a book called An Equal Music by Vikram Seth. It's a love, beautiful book. Uh, the, there's the, there were some moments in there where I think, hmm, uh, where's the arguments? Where's you know? Where, because I think anybody who says that they're in a string quartet and they don't argue has to be lying, surely. <laughs> I mean, we we spent most. I mean, a good proportion of our time was spent really kind of getting down to nitty gritty, and because it's a very very personal thing, mm. we're all playing roughly similar instruments. Mm. You're 
you know that that repertoire goes to the very soul, the, the heart of the, the human condition. Um, so when you're playing sort of late Beethoven, that kind of thing, there is you're not only talking about intonation, blending homogeneity of sound, homogeneity of tuning, how we feel a, a pulse, mm. you know, how we play a triplet over a, a duplet, that kind of thing. You are talking about how you feel, your personality, and if somebody says I don't agree, how you actually then compromise without compromising the music is a never-ending story and a never-ending uh, struggle and it, you know of course there are good things to it because if you do give a good performance it, it is it is really worth it mm. there uh, are going to be stronger characters in yeah. a foursome than others aren't there so yes. it's, it's tough it is tough um, but you decide you know I think as we went through our years we, we allocated certainly in terms of logistics somebody would book flights somebody would deal with our agent or manager on, on for that particular week or for that that kind of work I mean we were we were very democratic in choosing the kind of work that we we took on which mm. was basically to say yes to everything <laughs> <laughs> is that because because you know there's this i suppose perception that it's not the the most lucrative job because you just to start with you're just starting out yes it's like you say i'll take everything because yes. you don't quite know when the jo- next job's coming from yeah. Uh, starting out as a quartet, did you find that, or did the work come in quite quickly? Well, the quartet came out of um, the. It was it was uh, founded at the Royal Academy in London, and I came down from Manchester and joined it. Uh, you know, after it had been going for about five years, but we were still essentially postgrad students. And the academy was actually very good at, um, you know, gigs would or background jobs. Or there was a brilliant uh, organisation called Live Music Now, which I think was founded by Menuhin which um, got mu- music into um, hospitals, uh, homes for you know people with, with special needs or difficulties, prisons, that kind of thing. Um, and that also gave us some of our best experiences, actually, yeah. um, because the reaction was, was incredible. And actually sort of like talking to those audiences afterwards was absolutely brilliant. And I think that that kind of thing really helps to sort of overcome some of the stuffiness mm. that you can and do encounter in the concert hall, in, mm. the, in the recital room. And, and you talked about nerves, because you were nervous in previous years. Yes. And then Dirty Column, you kind of got rid of that, because you, you're part of a collective, aren't you, really? It's, yes. it's really, it's nice having other people on the stage with you. Yes. Did, has that all carried on now, that even in the quartet, you, you never lost you never felt nervous no well I mean I think you know your nerves never go um and I think that you know as what it's that that thing of being match fit you know if you have a football or I mean Wimbledon's on at the moment um you know players who've been away and obviously they're legends but if they haven't been on court in a match situation they're a bit rusty they need some matches to kind Mm. of get sharp and and read the other player and stuff. So, I think that you know there is a th- there's a difference between just rehearsing and sounding great in your room, and then actually going and delivering a performance that means something and that reaches people and expresses something uh, in a in a live situation. So, I I've never gone on stage and felt like wow, this this you know it's great. You you're excited, but now I do enjoy it way more than I used to I was I, I got really frozen there yeah. were a couple of years where it took you know but again it was just that thing of like actually and the quartet really helped with that as well of being on stage and understanding that people are actually there to hear some beautiful music they're not necessarily there to just judge you and how good or bad you are but you talked about Beethoven and I'm sure you played as a Beethoven quartet but did you miss that whole punk rock pop element that you'd had but because but you did incorporate that though didn't you because you then started working with with some pop musicians yes and I was mean, that from you was that you pushing for that um well actually that that all started while I was still in Jurassi because there was a producer called Stephen Street who'd done some really big Smiths album he'd done Meet His Murder um and uh, The Queen Is Dead and he produced one of Jurassi's records and then when the Smiths split he was working with Morrissey on his first solo album and Stephen got in touch and said, oh, we need some strings. Would you be up for doing it? And of course, at that point, I didn't say, look, mate, the only the only arrangements I've done are har- re-harmonising Bart chorales at college. <laughs> so, you know, SA, you know, soprano, alto, tenor, bass stuff. He might not have gone for you then, do you think? Um, no, he might. Well, I don't know. He may. If Yeah. Well, anyway, I wasn't entirely honest about my CV at that to that point. 
So I, um, I said, yeah, great, great, great. Um, and so that's how that whole arranging thing started. And then through Stephen, I did a lot of those early 90s bands, did Blur and Catatonia, Cranberries, um, and then did a really, really fun um, acoustic album with The Pretenders and toured with them for a little bit, which was, was really great fun. So that's how that all kind so of got started. it's one gig, it's the Morrissey job really, yeah. that then you obviously did okay. <laughs> they liked it. Yeah. And, and then it led for, to the next thing, yes. to the next thing. Yes. And, and it's, it, I guess as well, because I've spoken to a number of people about this, it's obviously doing it right, but it's also an ability to get on with people because I, I was interested in the process. So okay. So how, so Morrissey has this, this album. Yeah. When do you come on board? Um, it really with arranging it really varies um, with usually with bands they are quite a way through the album the songs are written they've recorded uh, like the rhythm section there's a guide vocal there's there's stuff it's all there um, and you come along and put a bit of that they might even have a very clear riff like the universal dun 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 that was that was Damon's riff okay uh, and he said look i want to do this but um i don't want to i get you know i can't what well, we don't have time or can't arrange it for a quartet that's that's your gig that's, that's what your you thing that's, that's what you do so that's what i did but you then add things and you hearts and you you know you put other stuff in and you add, add things and whatnot and and then they either say yes that's great or they say no that's horrible or yeah that's great but you know and you you get into the studio and that's when you kind of sort stuff out but i think that thing of um, how you get on with people is really, really crucial. And actually, now because I'm a little bit older and not necessarily wiser, but I do get, you know, because some of the other stuff that I've done, people, you know, will email me and, and they want to come and sort of meet and actually have this kind of conversation. How to on earth do like. you do you get on in the music industry? How do you actually get a break? How did it happen for you? You know, and when I've given talks at colleges and stuff, that is a question that always comes up because... It's so hard, and of course now there are so many people doing it, and there's a lot of pressure on the numbers game with how many followers have you got, and can you do this, and can you do that. And I know that some people get work through social media, but I've not had a single job ever, ever, ever through social media. By you know, I don't have much of a presence on that platform, but but you, it's a reputation. Well, I guess you know, and it is word of mouth, and it is you know, and but it does make a difference on you know, there are there are always kind of without being too lecture, you know, there's always sort of three things that I say, you know, turn up on time, be good at what you do, and don't be an idiot. You can swap that word for any, any word you like, but uh, that's that's kind of how it is, yeah. you know. But yeah. I know that there are people who, who are very good at networking and some are less good, and mm. it's just you make it work in whatever way you can. And you mentioned the Universal and the beginning, dude. Did I can't sing it. Um, but when you, you must be, that must have been amazing when you heard that, on the radio well but, um yeah i mean i think i was sort of graduating used to but i think you know the back then blur weren't the kind of the blur that well, wow blur you know they were an up-and-coming brit pop band and, and kind of you know that i think that album really sort of did kick it in for them and it's nice to be yeah i, I suppose i mean i i get i sometimes i have a kind of like oh yeah that was nice that i did that um but i'm quite modest i'm quite shy about that sort of stuff i won't say I, you know I mean, it's very nice that you're coming and asking me about it, but I wouldn't have rung you up and said, hey, Ali, I see that you've got a blog series. I think you need to talk to me about my career because it's really great. But, but the thing is that it's people like you, you know, you have made so much wonderful music. In, in, oh, thanks. Well, but because we're going to come to your stuff as well. But okay. on, on other collaborations, of you know, people maybe not quite realise, and I think it's really important that we say, look, this person did that, that made that arrangement that yeah. you know and everyone is singing along to it's it's massively important yeah I mean I guess I think there are times when you know I mean I, I have done some quite high profile sort of orchestral projects and stuff and occasionally there might be something where so you know the credit goes where the credit wasn't quite that's not quite right mm. but actually it doesn't matter you know because the other thing is is that I don't mind being you know, somebody who's, I just like being involved. I'm just happy to actually kind of be involved. And, you know, yeah, if, if you don't get the name check or you don't get the Grammy, those kind of things are so spurious and weird anyway. Mm. Um, but it is lovely. I mean, I was, I'm such an anorak in album sleeves because I still have oh, my, okay. my CDs, you know, I'm not gone digital at all. And, you know, I was looking at Ghost Stories. Oh, yes. And it's like, there's your name. And, and yes. that must be lovely, having a little bit of... Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, actually, I mean, I have to say that, you know, yes, that's great, but... The, the real kind of deep thrill for me is actually being in a studio with a band 
in a, an amazing sounding room with and also the other thing is that the people who don't get a lot of the, uh, the the credit is the people who play you know who are the, the, the strings on that record for example because they're amazing musicians they are actually incredible what they do and also the engineers because i know that you yeah we've um, spoken to olga do, you've spoken to olga who, and she was worked on yeah, that record yeah and it's just brilliant what they do and they create this sound and it then when it comes back i do get a moment where i think i wrote that and it's uh, to me anyway that sounds really beautiful and and actually i had a real moment with that where we did a we did a couple of really big um, orchestral albums with peter gabriel and we were at air studios in london and we did a an arrangement of street spirit the radiohead song and that was a real marmite arrangement for a lot of people when it came out and we, we can talk about that later if you want but um i i it was it had been a very 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 intense period of work really and in, super intense and we we had been a end of a very long day and anyway and they we did the first take of this arrangement and I, I lost it. I had to kind of turn away. I got choked. <laughs> God, it was the tiredness. I really choked, you know. And actually, the, 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 the producers, this amazing guy called Bob Ezrin, and Peter were both there. And, and I kind of talked, and Bob picked up on it. And he said, and he was really nice. He said, that's, that's great, John. Brilliant. You know, I haven't seen that in a while. That, you know, that, that's, that's really good. And I had I'd sort of pulled myself together. But it, and it wasn't just the tiredness. It was, I thought, that's, that's something that's really good. And I hope that that really reaches people. Mm. But it, it, it was just a moment like, yeah, I gave myself a little emotional pat on the yeah, back. Yeah, <laughs> why not? Why not? But those are rare. Those are rare moments because I'm, you know, I'm probably, I don't know, the, the, I haven't listened to all of your, you know, but I think that sometimes uh, people who are looking to express something can be really super hard on themselves. And I am one of those people, mm. very definitely. Mm. Mm. Uh, so when those moments happen, it's great. And I, I can at least acknowledge them. Do you find it difficult though sometimes when you've got an idea for an album with when you're working with one of these bands and you yeah. love this and they're just like oh we're not yeah. feeling it that okay so I do hard. have a story I won't say who the band are <laughs> but um, early on in my career I went in and they were um, a, a band who were early on in their career they became absolutely massive <laughs> and this is their second album I'd done the strings on the first album this was with Stephen again and um, first album was great second album the the singer had broken i won't say his or her their leg uh skiing and they had some success you know yeah anyway 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 i've given up too much information already so and and i had written a counter melody in one particular song that i was had got too attached to while i was working on it you know and um, they they came and said ah that counter melody in the second verse i don't like it and i said i actually pushed back for the only time ever up until that point, and you know, and never done any. And I said, "Ah, oh, yeah, but you know, blah, 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 you know." And the answer came back. It's like, again, fill in the expression. You know, this is my song. This is this is my music, and I don't want that counter melody. And I thought at that point, I thought, you know what? Fair enough. They are the ones who've. This is their music for for kickoff. Mm. Secondly, it's their necks that are on the line. You know, mm. so if they think that this doesn't fit with the thing, and then they get a crap review because oh, great album would have given it five stars except for the counter melody in that <laughs> second verse in that song. You know, it's it's them who get uh, you know take the fall for it. So and I really learned a brilliant lesson. And now and 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 now if somebody says something, even if it's something that I have got attached to, I just say, yep, yeah, it's gone. Fine. And maybe you could it. incorporate it in some of your own music. Totally. Yeah. yeah. No, there's, there's you big Venn diagrams. Yes, yes. absolutely. <laughs> and, and you're talking about being tired and long hours. So just give us a sense of, um, is, is it, are they ridiculously long days when you're working on an album in the studio? or And is there pressure? Because I was talking, when I talked to Olga about time, money, mm. studio time. Yes. So if they want something changing and you're in a studio and like, you've got to do this quick, is it quite pressurised? I've had to do stuff on the hoof where there's been an orchestra... Well, the thing is, there, well, there are two things. When you're abandoned, you've got a lockout at a studio for one day or a year. You've, the time is yours. And it's down to the band and the producer to organise that time. And, you know, OK, so we haven't quite got those overdubs. Blah, blah, blah. When you've got an orchestra sitting there, it's really expensive. It's massively expensive. The clock is just whizzing. Um, so, And also there are union rules. You know, a minute over, you're into overtime, and that's another five grand just you know for 15 minutes or whatever so there have been times when we've gone in and normally I do a demo for the band so we're really close or it's nailed down but of course once you're in the room and you hear it not plastic sampled strings you and there is flesh and bone in the room and it's all happening 
somebody will have an idea well, well okay this is brilliant but can we just do this can we do that so you could have 50 60 70 people sitting there plus a control room that isn't always quiet you can't you know if they're talking and, and enjoying themselves you can't just go shh i'm trying to hear can you guys just shut up because i'm trying to hear where my d flat is at the moment i'm trying to figure this call out so i have had to do that and that is pressure but actually i'm I don't mind that that kind of pressure. You I like quite it. enjoy that. Yeah, quite Mozart enjoy. Mozart never had this problem, though, did he? This well, is... he had his dad. Did that, he? That's a lot. Of pr- that's some pressure, right? Okay, there. <laughs> I need to re- re- relearn my tour. Mozart history. <laughs> 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 his dad. Oh wow! Yeah. What we haven't mentioned because I watched it last night was the the Brits in 2017 when you did the, oh, right, yeah. the, the different. The George Michael, yes. the different corner yeah. tribute. Yeah. And I watched that, and they did that whole beforehand. They did a tribute to him, and it yes. was Wham. Yes. And then it was Chris Martin and you guys and the orchestra yes. and I just wondered if you remember that clearly and how, how you totally. were feeling at the time I can, uh, well actually you, that, that, that was another uh, that was another moment because I absolutely love that song and I think you know I'm a huge George Michael I mean I'm not, I'm not an anorak but I absolutely love his voice I just think he's incredible what an amazing you know and also with the songs and his you know the whole thing absolutely brilliant and when Chris Martin said, oh, we're doing the Brits and could we do this and would you do the string arrangement? I thought, and oh, and I went, which which song is it? He said, it's different corner. I was like, oh, I can't. <laughs> it's you know, the big I, one. Yeah, it's, it's a big one. And, and I love that song. And I thought, I really, I'm going to do it because I have to, but I really don't want to screw it up, you know. So I spent a long time on the arrangement. And for me, it turned out really well. And I had another moment where we were in Abbey Road, in the main room at Abbey Road. And... And they played it for the first time, and I thought, yeah, that's really good. And I think that I've honoured the song, mm. you know. I mean, not with that. I don't want to get too sort of, you know, Oscar moment about it. But I thought I've I've done right by the song, and it sounds it sounds beautiful. And the Brits was an icing on the cake. It was really lovely to just do that and go and do that thing and have a bit of fun. Yeah. It was nerve wracking, surely though. No, no. Well, the thing is, is I'm not playing. I'm just. I was just standing there waving a stick. Well, I. Manipulously in the air. You're waving a stick. That's important. (laughs) As you nearly knocked the the, the drum kit over. But it's yeah. It's a big moment. Yeah. But I suppose you've done all the work beforehand. You knew what it was going to sound like. And you knew that you were working with professionals, aren't you? Yeah. And those gigs are just. uh, uh, They are a lot of fun. So it was. Yeah. I was on a win-win. Really. I mean, there's so much stuff you've done, and we can't do it all because it's ridiculous. But. you two special Abbey Road. Oh yes, and, and again that was fun. <laughs> I mean, I did have a, you know, because the thing is, is that I'm not really um, awed so much. But I mean, you know, I have had some moments where I meet, you know, um, Coldplay or or Peter Gabriel or you two for the first. You know, I mean, I I flew to Monaco. They were rehearsing in the studio, and I went over to meet them. And I think they wanted to probably meet me and say, look, who's this guy? So we didn't work together. Is he is he a complete numpty? He could just really screw the whole thing up. So I went over there, and that was a genuine because you know I'd listened to you know they're a massive, massive band, and I didn't know what to expect. And they were absolutely, they and their crew were amazing and lovely, made me feel very welcome. But that was where I I mean I was really quite nervous about meeting them for the first time. It's like meeting your heroes, isn't it? It's a craft work thing again. Yes, yeah. I mean, I'd be I'd be a, a pool of. I'd be an utter mess if I met Craftwork. I mean, I would be absolutely. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to function. That that would. That's not. I hope that never happens in a way. <laughs> oh, we must try and make that happen. Um, and and we talked about travelling and you know, a musician's life is a lot of travel and, and touring. Yes. So how much now do you do compared to um, you know the early days when you were with with Judy Collum yes. and um, and with the quartet as yes. well. It's tough touring, even though it sounds glamorous. I imagine it's tough. Or do you? No, it's not tough. You love it by the look of your face. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it because it's that sort of thing where you wake up and there is a structure to the day, and there is a gig at the end of it, or you're travelling, or you know, and you meet lots of people. And I, there's nothing I don't like about. It. There, there have been some tougher moments. You know, it, I mean, if the sound in a gig, you know, particularly if you're doing an amplified gig and the sound is great, or you feel that you haven't played well, then yeah, that's that's a downer. But all the mechanics of doing that thing, you know, I I love sound checks. I love the time in between the sound check where the gig's coming up and you're getting a bit hyped for it. Doing the gig, I love doing that. After the, you know, after the gig and hanging out and doing stuff, it's all good. It really is good. I, you know, and I have 
you know, you know I th- I, people do struggle. Of course they do. People mm. struggle with You only hear the bad stuff. A lot of people like, you know, Robbie Williams has talked a lot about how he, d- he doesn't like, to, well, he's, I think it's just being on that every day and I th- well, I think, them a bit maybe. I think my touring compared to his, I th- and also, again, it's this thing of he's, he's the point person. Yes. It's all on him. He's got so much pressure and there's so many people screaming at him and looking at him and asking him questions and wanting this and wanting that and wanting the other. That I can really understand. I can totally get that. Where you and and also because if you've made a lot of money and there's a big pyramid of people who require you to turn up in order to get paid, that's an also a, a pressure as well. So you know I'm not saying th- those people. You know of course I can really understand that. For me, I guess because I'm all generally the kind of second or third or 19th or 90th in command <laughs> down the food chain i can just take the good bits and the nice hotels yeah and the nice they're, yeah there've been some really shit sorry there's been some <laughs> poor quality hotels uh, particularly and, maybe in the early days yes and then there's been some really silly hotels there was a hotel that should not be open because of the amount of because of its carbon footprint there was a snow room i thought why do they need a snow room it's cold enough outside as it is that, and you know i was just sort of thinking of the generators pumping out the co2 to keep for, for you know a few people to be cold in the morning i just anyway you, yeah, you, well, of... I suppose you see a lot of interesting places yes. and you meet some amazing people. Yes. And do you find that the people that you've worked on throughout your career, one thing has led to another? Because there, have there ever been sort of fellow times? Because it seems like you've just been constantly working. Um, there are where I'm... Yes, there have been times where, you know, perhaps there hasn't been like a bigger project, you know, like the orchestral stuff with, with Peter Gabriel, um, where... I have felt like, ooh, what's next? Ooh, I'm just, yeah, okay, I've got this and I've got that. But it's always been like that. Actually, it's always been like that. Mm. Um, it's something you get used to. Yeah, it is something that you get used to. Yeah. The trick is, and I have not got anywhere near mastering this, is how to actually deal with the downtime. Because, you know, and luckily, you know, I mean, I have a, an amazing family and so we do, you know, but if if they're all working or at school and stuff and I'm here and I'm slightly mowing the lawn or tidying the room or whatever it is uh oh shouldn't i be doing something useful mm. um uh, yeah uh, and so that I, could I think get really tricky and actors similar in a way they're waiting for their next yes. um their next job as well i mean i suppose is that the time that you start composing and, and doing your own stuff yeah there is always that and i think that you know and, and that's a really hard balance to get because on the one hand the stuff that really does pay and gets me into nice hotel rooms it's not the stuff that i write <laughs> unfortunately that kind of balance hasn't quite <laughs> coming you know so um yeah when i'm writing for myself that's where i'm really up against something because there's nobody saying to me this is the deadline i need you to be here by this point and we need an arrangement or this and this and when it's going to happen and also with having a producer and a band who are, who are really defining the parameters of my wiggle room in terms of what i can do mm in general um it's it's easier there's a different kind of pressure but when you have a blank canvas you know i know you talked to tom croft and the artist the other day you know when when you are thinking i okay so i want to create something but i've got to get off my ass and come into the room boot up or get my viola out and put a microphone in front of it what am i going to do and what does it actually mean Just and who am i oh no <laughs> oh no and the and the lawn needs mowing yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'll go mow the lawn because that's a tangible result right there. And at least I can look at that and, you know, and feel miserable about. <laughs> oh, no. And also, it's like when you were saying at the beginning when you were at school and, uh, you know, you didn't want to be doing the practice and everything. Yes. So if you're not that sort of maybe I'm going to do this now and I'm, I'm really because I've talked to other people who are some writers and they're like, right, I, get, I write at this time of the day and I do it for six. Yes. Hours. Yeah. But if you're not. You know, the music's got to come, hasn't it? You've got to be in the right yeah. mood. Well, I think, yes, you do. But also there is that nine to five thing. I know that Brian, Brian Eno was, was, um, said that that's a, that's a really important aspect of one's work um, ethic is that you in, in the days when you're not inspired or you're not feeling it or you haven't had a couple of wines in the evening, you think, oh, I know, I'll just poddle into the studio and, and you know, muddle, you know uh, noodle about for a little bit. It is the thing that actually sometimes it does get results because if you go in and you say, right, I'm going to write a song today, I'm going to write two minutes of music, instrumental music, it doesn't matter how bad it is, there's something there. And you never know, something might just think, oh, oh, and a little light bulb goes on and then you do something. 
I'm not saying more often than not it doesn't sometimes it does you just you just never know so it's that thing of actually being in your office and doing that you can't always just think oh I'm going to wait for the muse to hit and then it'll be great and when you uh, wrote I mean you've you've done so much stuff but things like the appearance of colour and I mean that was a couple couple of years ago yeah that's about three years ago now. can you remember roughly how long that took you did you do it all in a creative moment and and just days after days or does it because I guess you get interrupted yes you do get interrupted I mean that that album actually took four years because I was seriously interrupted by a lot of stuff um, so you are slightly writing in in between the nooks and crannies, but actually I do write quite quickly. What then happens is that I go into tweet mode, which is a nightmare. So I get demo love, and actually maybe I should just leave it at that point, and then maybe give it to somebody else, give it to somebody, say please mix this. Yeah. This is this you know, um, but I can't. I just won't let it lie. I won't leave it alone, and that's a really dangerous um, so process of, to go bit down. Of a perfectionist. Bit of a perfectionist. But, and then you, know. you get bored and then you know and then it's like and then you think no it's awful and then by the time you actually finish the process you kind of think it's awful but you put it out anyway <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people didn't think it was awful though because there were some great reviews for a yeah. lot of the stuff you've done and, and are they important to you i mean i saw on twitter that i uh, think coldplay like your new song solitude oh yeah no they were very nice about that They're which is nice. which is better than a a, a review from them or a review in in a magazine that that writes music I couldn't reviews. possibly say I couldn't and won't <laughs> possibly say but I you know I think I think getting peer acknowledgement you know people who come up after a session you know if there's somebody in an orchestra comes up and says actually you know what that was really great you know you write beautifully for strings or whatever mm. that that does mean a lot because those those people know you know I, I know that critics have to listen to a lot of music and they're under a lot of pressure and there's a whole dynamic that goes on with that so if some good press comes back that's great but you know you you look at like somebody like Stuart Lee you know he he makes good there's good um, currency out of the, the bad reviews that he's had because they're hilarious because well whether you like him or not I think the guy's an absolute genius so the fact that somebody actually slags him off doesn't reflect badly on him it only reflects well yeah. in my in my opinion so uh, you know I, I mean I have had bad reviews um, for all sorts of things and it yeah it's a shame <laughs> But, but don't what take, are you going to do? do I, what, no, what it's do out there. there. You're it's not going to rewrite it, are yeah. you? And, and I was interested in sort of you talk about you know getting that idea and then coming in and doing it um, because absence that you wrote was about it's about your dad, yes, yeah, and and, yeah. and about losing somebody. So do you often draw on um, personal experience when you're writing? Um, no, that was a kind of a one-off. Usually, what happens is that I am uh, I used to be a kind of um, music shop noodler. Music shops don't sort of exist really very much no. anymore, but it used to be loads of people, basically sort of quite young men, going in and sort of hitting keys and, you know, doing all that sort of stuff in these shops. It would have been an absolute racket. Um, <laughs> it was quite fun though, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah right, no, no, I enjoyed that. I mean, yeah. I did have one incredibly embarrassing moment where I went in, there was this new keyboard out, and I went into a, a shop on Denmark Street. And, I, you know, I'm not a brilliant pianist. I was kind of like a bit of a one-finger wonder just going through the presets <laughs> and sort of literally knitting the, you know, doing that thing with index, two index fingers. And I had headphones on. I thought, I'm kind of getting into it. Yeah, this is great. Ooh, you know, maybe I'll get this keyboard and it's all going to be cool. And um, and then I took the headphones off and I'd had it on a, on a delay setting. <laughs> oh, no. And the delay was sort of boop, 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 sort of dying into, in, the, in the shop. And I was looking, oh, my God. And then this guy who there's a lot of quite proficient keyboardists who were working those ever used to work in those places and he literally i got five yards away from the keyboard he came on and then went to his kind of jazz piano preset and started like really playing the hell out of this thing and was like yeah thanks for that you know it's just, it's just like, so i shuffled out of the shop my but it's head okay because i've worked with peter gabriel and coldplay so it's fine well i hadn't at that point it was gonna happen <laughs> yeah. um, oh so but so, i forgot what the question was the sorry question i went was, over a total no, tangent totally fine it was all about personal experience but generally you write not from personal experience the short story is is that i am mostly sort of inspired by sound and sonic so that's the thing and i get a lot of inspiration from you know my viola and and also from electronic sounds and things like that that's what actually thinks oh that's nice and that will suggest colors and keys and themes and Mm. all that kind of stuff normally what's happened with the records is that i'm writing and then a narrative if it is appropriate gets kind starts it's like a little barnacle on the side of a ship and then it's sort of encrusted by the end of it but generally i'm not a fan of saying this record is about this i really you know and and that that record absence has the most singing on it as well Mm. 
Um, you know, and, and if there are lyrics, I tend to try and be more ambivalent about the kind of lyrics that they are. I don't want to say this song is about love, this song is about Brexit or about climate change. It's about whatever you feel. So there might be certain words that suggest things, but it doesn't have to necessarily be... Are, you know, articulating uh -huh. very exact uh, set of emotions, and you're on your own writing to start with. But then you often yeah. like, but you love the whole collaborative process yes. as well. So that's the bit you really like getting. Yes. The next stage, almost. Yes, exactly. Is, that's the favourite bit. Yes. For you. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and and uh, and for what for you is next in terms of writing? Then have you got stuff? Yes, I have. Um, I well, I'm, it's about to be rubber stamped, and I'm not allowed to say what it is. Oh, but no. there is um, hopefully um, writing music for a show a permanent show somewhere in Europe okay. um, that is going to be a lot of writing and going to be really good fun um, and also yeah I'm starting to work on another record and there's some other arranging and a bit of producing and stuff so it's the usual sort of portfolio stuff it sounds, yeah. sounds fantastic and I, I, what I really wanted to ask you is when we were which I forgot when we were talking about touring and yes. how you love it and all, I mean you must have played in so many different venues all yes. over the world and in this country What's the best venue to play in? Two, two, two venues. One was Hollywood Bowl with Peter Gabriel conducting the orchestra, conducting the arrangements that we'd done together in front of a, a full house. That was brilliant. That was just a lot of fun and an amazing, amazing experience. And then also there was one gig I did in Brighton with the band a long time ago in, in quite a small festival. I don't think it's running anymore. Um, and the audience came in and it was full and people didn't know what to expect but we got a shall we say we got a very good response and that was that great stuck with yeah. you even though it was such a long time ago yeah. yeah yeah and when you do the hollywood bowl isn't that weird then when you come back to oxford and you're like you're back on the school run or you know it's you're in the park and you just think hang on two days ago i was standing with peter Gabriel. Yeah. It's kind of, is that a weird shift it is it is a weird shift um and it's one that i don't i'd be honest i'm not sure i deal with that particularly well but the other thing is to say about that, of course, is, you know, I am I'm very lucky, blessed to have an amazing family. And of course, they don't care. They couldn't care less. You know, you know, particularly my two boys, they quite rightly completely take the piss out of me all the time. <laughs> if I'm getting too pompous or too grumpy or whatever, you know, they, they just it's all meat and drink to them. It's, it's brilliant. So that's so they that's keep good. you. They keep you. They grounded. keep me real. They Fair keep me, enough. Yeah. And, and if we were to look back on the pivotal moments, really, on on what what has made a real difference to the way your career's gone, because you say things have changed, really, that you now you really talk about yourself as a composer and arranger, and you think back to the days of of just playing the viola. What what were the moments that changed it for you? Was it going up to Manchester and starting? Because we haven't talked about factory classical, but we we, we touched on it, the fact that you yes. were merging classical and other genres of music. Yes. Yes. That was massive, isn't it? Definitely going to Manchester. I think, you know, I didn't get into... I, I did get into uh, a couple of the music colleges in London, but I think that decision, because the Hacienda had just opened, was the reason why I went to Manchester. That was a, a, a definite moment. There was also a kind of a sliding doors moment where we were in America with Girotti doing a gig, but I went to play to a famous viola teacher in the University of Southern California. And he liked my playing and he said I would really like you to come over and do your postgrad study here and I decided not to and instead I went to Berlin to do um, a year there and that was definitely a moment because I think had I stayed there I you know I think I still would have been there because not so much now but there are aspects of America that I really really like mm. I've always what, liked being there what made you change I was actually I just started in the quartet I think I knew that I wanted to go to this particular teacher in Berlin I was too also still doing Girati and I was still doing factory classical and there are a lot of things that were actually going on bubbling away here and I thought tempted though I am could be great the weather's better <laughs> I there was there wasn't enough there, there was, at that point maybe there was too much uh, pop and rock and and different genres yeah. of music I guess this so. side of the Atlantic, yes. do you think? And I mean, I there think... might have been in America, but you you couldn't be sure of that. Maybe. And I didn't know enough about American, you know, pop stuff mm. or indie or what was going on, sort of underground electronic stuff, um, to be able to make a kind of a value judgment on that, you know. And because I had stuff going on that I, you know, and again, it would have meant, and I've, I've had a lot of moments in my life where I've had to stop being somewhere 
and leave and leave all my friends and you know family or stuff behind and I just think that was one one stage too many sure yeah. I just I'm going to stick where I for the first time in my life I'm going to stay where I am and where the flow seems to be going. I'm not going to do a right angle turn and just veer off, you know. Good decision. Yeah, it was actually. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah. And, and then again, working with Morrissey was that another pivotal moment because that then led to other. Uh, yes, I guess. I mean, I think I think in a way that that was one of those kind of gradual ones because going to Manchester led to Girati, led to Stephen Street, led to the thing. I think. Mm. Um, yeah, I think uh, perhaps the other big big moment was um, doing a project where we did live composing, and we haven't got time to go into that. It was really scary. It's why I'm going bored now. <laughs> I, it put five hundred years on my life, but it was absolutely brilliant. But Peter Gabriel's um, engineer came to a gig we did at Colston Hall, and it just so happened at that point that Peter was looking for somebody to collaborate with on these these two orchestral albums. And that was a real moment because that's when I be- really became a proper arranger and, you know, and also MDing, you know, musical director of the tours and dealing with all those sort of stuff and dealing with a lot of different things made me grow up and matured me quite a lot. Well, you know, and as far as as much as possible, um, it was that was that was also a real moment. Definitely. Yeah. And, and, then... and getting married and well, not, you know, and having kids. I mean, of course, and all that as oh well. Oh my goodness! Thank goodness you mentioned <laughs> so that. that. Oh, phew! Because your wife's only yes, down the other I'm end of the garden. He only talked about his career. <laughs> <laughs> but it, the fact as well that they're very supportive, as you mentioned. And, yeah. and you know, but yeah. the, the family tradition is continuing because your son is is playing drums in London. Yes. And yes. So, which is wonderful. Yeah. Who's on your wish list? Who Who else would you like to work with? Craftwork. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, craftwork with an orchestra. There you go. Um, it's going to happen. Yes, it's definitely going to happen because we said it. It's yes. in the ether. That's definitely going to happen. Fine. I think I. Um, I'm not in in terms that this will sound like awful nonsense. <laughs> or there's a word for it, which we again, which we can't say. But um, I would love to. Th- I know that there is an album that I haven't written yet where I feel that is pretty much the best I can do. Yeah. You're, you're, where I'm not playing, where I'm not, where it's I have pushed it. I've really said no, 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 no. I need to be over there. I can't wait to hear it. Neither can I. <laughs> <laughs> I'm get on with it. It's really lovely to speak to you. Thank you so you much. You too, Ali. Thanks. Nice Thanks to meet you. Me. Thank you. Thank you so much to John for taking the time to talk to me. I can't wait to hear what music he's got coming up next. Uh, Don't forget, if you love music, we've got other musical guests on the podcast that you can go back and listen to. There's also authors, broadcasters, loads more all waiting for you. Uh, Next week is the last episode of the season. I've no idea who we're talking to, but I will sort that out very soon. Uh, It'll probably end up with some panic emails to Megan, who produced the podcast again brilliantly this week. Uh, She's recovering from last week when her computer kept crashing and it took her about three years to edit the thing. But all good this week, computers are going to behave. Uh, Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate us, follow us on Twitter at Where Go Right and we'll see you next week.